Welcome to Valley Real Life. It is so good to see you guys here. I'm so thankful. And a special welcome to all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. Well, we are in week 10 of our sermon series, Unchained, as we journey through the book of Philippians. Adam and Eric did a great job last week. And I'm kind of, that's right, we can clap. Yep. And I'm kind of picking up right where they left off. It was about a year ago when my husband asked if he'd like me to go on a little jog with him. And, you know, how hard could it be? I mean, it was only like three miles that he was, you know, asking of me. But I should have known better because my husband is like a four-minute mile runner person and, and it takes me like four minutes to go check the mail. Like, <laughs> well, I started out on the race, this run, which I just I felt like was a race because he just kept, kept me going. And by the time I got to the end of it, I mean, I thought I was going to die. It took me, like I couldn't even walk for like a week. And they just kind of confirmed that I am not a runner. Clearly, I was out of shape. So I just want you all to know that for the record, I'm not a runner. I don't like running. I think it's torturous, personally. But I really like how Paul uses a foot race in several of his writings in the Bible as a metaphor to teach us about the Christian life. In today's text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21 He's going to show us how to run to win, what to run to, what to run from, and why we should run to win. So we're going to tackle this in a few sections at a time together, and we're going to start with verses 12 through 14. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Here in verse 12, we need to remember that Paul is writing to people who thought they were good enough, who thought they stood perfect before the law, and perhaps they also thought that Paul had reached perfection himself. Paul is really piggybacking on the prior verses, 7 through 10, where he's teaching the Philippians that his righteousness and theirs comes only through faith in Christ, not anything he had accomplished or could do. And here he tells them again that he is not perfect, that he hasn't arrived spiritually. And this side of heaven until the final resurrection that he mentions in verse 11, he won't achieve perfection and neither will we. None of us, none of us have arrived spiritually. In fact, the more we mature in our love and understanding of the Lord, the more we learn that we need to grow in our love and understanding of the Lord. Our relationship with Jesus is an ongoing daily pursuit. We should be making spiritual progress. There's always something we can be growing in, always something we can learn. In verses 12 and 13, I love how the NIV says it, Paul desired to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him, for him to fulfill the purpose behind Christ saving him on the road to Damascus. We are compelled to press on to manifesting the gospel, the saving knowledge that Christ is the only way for us to experience reconciliation with God. Paul experienced this, and his passion for Jesus compels him 
to the furtherance of the gospel. He wanted to lay hold of the fullness of life in Christ. So how do we run to win? In verses 13 and 14, he says this, I focus on this one thing. Paul is single-minded. He is laser-focused to chase after the goal. He is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He is pressing on to the goal to win the prize for which God had called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. So whatever hinders us from pursuing the goal and winning the prize really robs us of our focus, slows us down, and keeps us from pursuing the right goal. But what kinds of things from the past do we need to forget? See, we tend to think of past wrongs, but they were probably thinking of past rights. The nation of Israel dwelled on their heritage and pedigree, but like Paul's recent resume of righteousness, he, he's telling them in that prior list that they also need to count these things as lost. There's other past things like past pains, trials and heartache that we need to move past, past prisons like addictions or strongholds. We, we have the same tendency. I've dwelled on past accomplishments, giving them way too much space in my heart. I've allowed heartbreak to rob me of the present and past addictions to resurface in moments of weakness. See, past achievements or past failures can draw our focus away from where it shouldn't be. We must look straight ahead and forget what is behind. See, past achievements can make us think that we've done enough for Jesus. Now look at all that I've accomplished for the Lord. But there's no retiring from Christian living. I mean, what if Billy Graham just called it quits after the first crusade, packed it up, and was like, all right, I'm good, right? And past failures, similarly, will try to convince us that we're not able to do anything for the Lord. We should always be asking how can the Lord use me now? Coaches always tell their athlete runners, run all the way through the finish line. Don't turn to see where the other runners are. Paul is saying, stay on track and don't look back. Do you find yourself looking back? Is looking back hindering you from forward progress? We can't run the race by looking backwards, church. The word here that Paul uses for pressing on means a vigorous, concentrated pursuit. Does this describe our race? Like an athlete, the Christian life requires effort, discipline, commitment, perseverance, commitment to the goal. But like Paul, with eagerness, we need to forget the past and only pursue what lasts. The word for reaching the end of the race just means a goal or finish line. Verses 11 and 21 in this section of scripture refer to a future resurrection at the end of time when we will live forever with Jesus in heaven. But between now and our future resurrection, the implications of verse 12 can also refer to us living Christ-like. At the end of the race, during the Greek and the Roman games, the winner would be called up to receive their prize. Paul's language here, to receive the heavenly prize, is consistent with his athletic imagery. Let's cross the finish line because God has called us heavenward to our eternal inheritance. But our present inheritance, the prize can also refer to Christ himself, which is referenced earlier in verse 8. 
Have you ever heard someone say, don't rest on your laurels? I did a little digging, and a laurel is just a plant, but it was, it's often used to make a wreath or a crown that's given to athletes after a race. Don't rest on your accomplishments, your achievements, your accolades, your awards. Paul is basically saying, don't rest on your laurels, but let his laurels rest on you. Let his crown of grace and joy and love and peace of what he has achieved on your behalf rest upon your life as you strain toward what is ahead. Let's move on to the next section of scripture, verses 15 through 17. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Verses 15 through 16, Paul's point here is that as we continue to grow and progress in Christlikeness, God will reveal to us areas of growth as we press on to the goal. As mentioned above, none of us are perfect, but we are to live up to what we've already attained, continue to progress forward in our faith. Just like an athlete, our spiritual muscles need training. We can't shrink back. We can't look back. We must keep running toward the prize. And in verse 17, Paul is exhorting us to follow his example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he uses similar language where he teaches us Follow me as I follow Christ. And we're also here in Philippians, he's telling us to also take note, to look for, to consider others' examples, to imitate. The word means to mimic, to mimic those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. We all need good role models, don't we, church? And as we look, as we look to others who are running the race faithfully, those are the people we need to be running with the ones that are pursuing the same goal and the same prize that we are. Who is a good example to you? Are you a good example for others to follow? As disciples, like Paul, we are to run with those who mimic Christ, and we're called to teach others the way of Christ as we follow him. But friends, we can't run the race alone We need each other. Paul is saying, let's do this together. Some of the greatest athletes train with more experienced athletes to encourage and support and to spur them on. We should all find at least one person whose example we can follow as they follow Christ. We need to be training with others and at least find someone who's a little bit further along in the race than we are. But if you're running alone, please, Please get connected and find a running partner. I have grown the most in my faith when I have been running with others. It started when I was in high school with my youth pastor's wife. And every church that I've been a part of since, the Lord has provided godly women that I can run the race with. And those are the ones who have encouraged me the most in my faith and have helped me to stay focused and to pursue the goal before me. This last section of scripture that we're going to look at today, verses 18 through 20, Paul says this, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life on earth. 
But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Verses 18 and 19, Paul is telling us that there are people who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ, and then he describes their characteristics. Rather than mimicking Christ, these individuals mock the cross. They mock the cross by taking advantage of God's grace, by not taking sin seriously. They believe they don't need the cross because they've already arrived. We need to guard against behavior that mocks the cross and not run alongside those who make that their practice. A few sources indicate that these individuals were part of the Philippian church. First, they could be the legalists or the Judaizers that Paul refers to in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says they are the mutilators of the flesh. They were those who tried to force Jewish traditions, who said that in order to be a Christian, one had to become a Jew first and demanded circumcision. They elevated works over grace. Secondly, those in mind are those who were liberal. They live unrestrained, ungodly lives. They pursued sensual pleasures and things related to our fallen world, living for what they could get on the earth. Their mind and their purpose and their passions are for worldly gain. They claim to know Christ, but they're not living like it. They take advantage of God's grace. They excuse and they even flaunt their sin. And Paul tells us in Romans where he confronts this, shall I sin so that grace can abound? Paul's like, no, may it never be. The mindset of these people that he's talking to is that Christ has forgiven me. I'll live how I want. They boast about their shameful activities and their future doesn't have a good end. As I was studying this passage, I was so touched when I came to this part. And it's the part where it talks about Paul's tears. The tears here that Paul is showing, I don't believe are of anger but I believe it's of love to the individuals. I believe that it indicates a relationship that he had been pouring into these people at some point in his journey. And I'm convicted. How am I responding to those who seem to abuse God's grace? Am I moved to tears? There's a place, of course, for lovingly confronting wayward individuals. But there is a deeper concern here for Paul's tears, over his brokenness, over these people. They misunderstood and they misapplied the gospel by abusing God's grace. Paul, this, this is Paul's burden. They missed it and it breaks his heart. The legalists boasted in their righteous acts and the liberals boasted in their freedom to fulfill sensual desires. Do we have a proper understanding of the gospel. Because if we don't, we can be running the race in vain. One group emphasizes works and performance, am I doing enough? We are saved for good works, but not by good works. The other group gives license to live however they want. We have assurance of salvation, but we don't have a license to do whatever we want. The good news of Christ dying on the cross for our sin is that we have been given freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. I've wrestled with both. Sometimes I can be a legalist. 
Part of my story is that I'm a recovering Pharisee. Other times, I'm tempted to take advantage of God's grace. God loves me so much. He's so gracious. He'll let it slide. He'll forgive me. But when I do this, I'm devaluing and mocking the cross. I'm minimizing Christ's sacrifice. I'm basically saying that Christ's sacrifice only matters enough to cover my sin, but not enough for me to avoid sin. The Philippians that Paul is talking to, they had emptied the power of the cross to transform lives. And for Paul, this is his life's ambition, to bring as many people to the saving knowledge of Christ so that they can experience the same life change he had. And he tells us in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Listen closely to what J.D. Greer says about the gospel. The gospel is more important than our programs. The gospel is more important than our preferences. The gospel is more important than our priorities. The gospel is more important than our politics. It doesn't matter how you fill in the blank. The gospel is always and will always be most important. But like many believers, when it comes to the pursuit of abundant life, many believe in other things as well. The gospel is one alternative. But here's the reality, he says. If the gospel is not above all, It loses its power to change us, our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work, and our world. In fact, if the gospel is not above all else, it's not even the gospel anymore. We need the power of the gospel, the raw power of God, to bring transformation to every area of our lives. Amen. J.D. Greer. The center, that's right. (laughs) That'll preach. (laughs) The center of Christianity is the gospel message through the person and work of Christ on the cross and what he accomplished for us, dying in our place so that we could run the race and not abuse God's grace. Paul knows the cross is central, not only for salvation, but also for discipleship. Yes, We receive forgiveness of sin and right standing with God. But the cross also defines what true discipleship looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus. It is those running the race in the pursuit of Christ-likeness. Discipleship through the lens of the cross is about self-denial, dying daily to our wants and desires, staying the course in pursuit of his. It's a call for us to take up our cross and follow him, which he says 21 times in the book of Matthew Some of the Philippian Christians hadn't embraced the self-denying life of true discipleship, and instead of denying self, they were denying Christ. And this is what moved Paul to tears. Are we embracing a self-denying life of discipleship? Instead of mimicking Paul's example of Christ-likeness, they were mocking Christ's example displayed on the cross. But let's be a people who mimic Christ and not mock the cross. Paul is saying, I'm not yet perfect, but I'm pressing on to Christ-likeness. I'm not looking back and holding on to past achievements, but I'm clinging to Christ and what he's achieved for me. He's telling the Philippians, live up to the progress that you've made and follow the pattern that I've given you. Mimic Christ. Follow this pattern of godly living 
this way of self-denial. Run this race without abusing God's grace. And in verse 20, Paul reminds the Philippians why they should run to win, why they should mimic Christ and not mock the cross. It's because they're not made for this world. They're made for another. The NIV says it this way, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be living in hope of a future inheritance. Paul is committed to the end. We've got to focus our spiritual eyes on the eternal prize by fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on life around us. As they run the race, Paul is encouraging them not to rely on the earthly privilege of their Roman citizenship and living in a Roman colony. Instead, he says, live as citizens of a heavenly city. See, the Roman Empire ruled the whole world during this time, and being a Roman citizen was a big deal. It gave a person elevated status with special rights and privileges, and Paul is a Roman citizen himself. And part of living in a Roman colony meant that the colony was expected to embrace the culture of Rome. And there were many Greek and Roman gods, a pluralistic culture with many saviors. And as a Roman colony, culturally, the ruling Caesar was considered a savior. But Paul is telling the Philippians, your citizenship in heaven is greater than your Roman citizenship And your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is greater than Caesar. Your lives are to be shaped by Christ the King, not Caesar. And as you eagerly await Christ's return, you are to embody the culture of a heavenly kingdom. And the same is true for us today. Despite the gods of our culture, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, and we are to reflect the culture of his kingdom, marked by those who mimic Christ, not mock the cross. And as we wait for his return, we are called to live self-denying lives in pursuit of him, keeping our minds on things above, not on earthly things, not the next party, promotion, pedicure, paycheck, profit, pay raise, I'm running out of peas here, hunting trip, championship game, whatever it is. Our tendency is to focus on the moment in front of us and then the next moment and the next moment. We're not always looking ahead and looking forward. This life is not our goal. And that right there should cause us to pause and ask, are we running towards the wrong finish line? Come to find out, friends, I am a runner. This is the longest race I will ever participate in, ever. But I will receive the greatest prize over any earthly treasure. There are times I get frustrated. I get worn out. Sometimes it's difficult to live with eternity in view. But when my focus is on earthly things, it's easy for me to have blurred vision and to lose sight of the eternal goal. But when I stay focused on eternal things, it's easier for me to persevere with strength and to run with endurance. So as we think about our race and our Christian life, where are we? And what is our next step? How about you? 
Are you watching from the stands and not yet in the race? Are you training? Are you at the starting line, maybe? Maybe you've just left the blocks and you're a few laps in. Maybe you're feeling tired, weary. Are you looking back? Have you stumbled? Maybe gotten off track? Are you running alone? Maybe today you are giving it your all. You are straining ahead. Can I just encourage you, wherever you are in the race, start running to win and keep running towards Christ. Invite someone to join you in the race. Press on to the finish line. Persevere to the end. Stay on track and don't look back. Forget the past and only pursue what lasts. Don't rest on your laurels, but let his laurels rest upon you. Focus your spiritual eyes on the eternal prize. Run the race and don't abuse God's grace. And may your life mimic Christ and not mock the cross. Let's pray. God, we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you have made a way for us And thank you for giving Apostle Paul the words he gave the Philippians years ago. We know, Lord, that those are words for us today as well. Oh, Father, we want to run this race. We want to pursue you. And Jesus, we are asking with great faith that you would lead us by your spirit, that we would run and persevere with great endurance, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.